Good morning, everyone. My name is Pete. It's great to see you here this morning. Well done for getting out of bed on a wintry morning and being here. It's really good to be together to worship, to pray, to connect and to learn from God's Word. And that's what we're going to do now. We continue in our series uh, called Faith for Real from the book of James. And today we'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And this is a challenging passage, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's easy to understand. It's not full of theological mystery or anything like that. It's just full of practical implication for every single one of us, every single day of our lives. So uh, be ready for a challenge in this, in this passage that we read today. In a minute we'll pray, but I want to read verse 1 first. Uh, so from chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, I've been a teacher now for 25 years, and that verse has haunted me the whole time. Um, of course, it's not speaking specifically about the profession of being a school teacher, but anyone who would uh, be part of teaching others about God's Word. And it follows on from what we've been hearing in recent weeks. Um, so two weeks ago, uh, Mandy Smith was sharing on the topic of hypocrisy in the book of James. And then last week, Danny was sharing about uh, judgment. And leading on from that is this, uh, this warning about teaching. Because if any one of us who teaches the word uh, is hypocritical or is judgmental or distorts God's word, then we will be judged more strictly by believers, by non-believers and by God himself. So given that I'm about to try to teach the word, I think I need to start by praying. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, your word is your revelation to us, your gift to us. We thank you for giving us truth and hope and guidance for our lives. Lord, we ask that you would use your word to shape us. And Lord, for any of us who teach the word, may we do it faithfully. May we understand and explain in a way that pleases you. And may there be nothing about our lives that would be a barrier to the gospel being received by others. As we open your word today, we ask for insight and wisdom so we might honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of James comes to us with authority. We believe that it is uh, divinely inspired, but it also comes with a powerful human credibility. So James was the brother of Jesus and has had this intimate first-hand experience of the life and teaching of Jesus. And he's bringing these practical life lessons uh, to the, the Christians of the first century, but it applies absolutely to us today. And the big emphasis of this passage is how we speak to one another and particularly how we tame the tongue. So let's read from verse 2. It says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Well, I did some in-depth research on how much we actually speak and Google told me that the average man speaks about 7,000 words per day and the average woman speaks around 20,000 words per day. <laughs> That's just a fact and I was just going to leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, in sharing this 
with a few people during the week, Anne Cutchie pointed out to me that that may in fact be because wives have to explain things to husbands two or three times over. <laughs> I think there's also something in Proverbs about nagging, but anyway. Um, here's another fact. The average person speaks about 860 million words in their lifetime. And that means that plenty of people will speak more than a billion words in their lifetime. Can you imagine being the researcher on that one, following someone around with a pad, just write it, you know, counting or something? A, a billion words in our lives, potentially. So what's the point of these stats? Well, every one of these words is an opportunity to stumble, isn't it? We speak to people every day. We interact constantly. And we can mess up people's lives by our words, which is why James says anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. And I think we can probably all think quite quickly of the things that we've said and regret. Okay, I could come up with a pretty long list pretty quickly. James goes on to show just how influential the tongue is as a little organ that changes the world. Let's read on verses 3 to 7. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow, that's a powerful description, isn't it? James gives us these three images at the centre of this passage. Uh, they still make a lot of sense to us today. So the images are the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder that turns a ship, and the spark that starts a forest fire. That's how our words can have big consequences. That's the imagery he uses. And words are powerful, aren't they? For better or for worse. History confirms this. There are speeches that have absolutely changed the world. You could think of Hitler at the Nuremberg rallies in the late 1930s, whipping up a frenzy of national socialism that would plunge the world into war. Or you could think of Martin Luther King Jr. at the Washington Monument, inspiring a nation with the dream of racial equality. World changes. The tongue has a profound effect for better or for worse. Now, you and I probably aren't going to be world changers. I mean, if there's someone here who is, you go for it. But even for the ordinary people, uh, we are life changers for those around us because of the words we use. We can impact people significantly. And it seems from this passage that we are mostly at risk of using our tongues badly. James describes it as a restless evil full of deadly poison. I'd like to share three little stories about how our words 
can do anything from ruining someone's day to changing someone's entire life. Proverbs 18.1 is a good one to remember. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So here's just a few little ideas about how uh, our words can really deeply affect people. So one morning I was on yard duty as a teacher at the bus loop. And of course, when teachers are on yard duty, one of the jobs is to check that kids are wearing their uniform properly. And this particular morning, I was getting a bit frustrated at how many kids were out of uniform. And that was building up. And eventually one middle school kid gets off a bus and his shoes are wrong, his pants have got all grass stains on them, his shirt's untucked, buttons missing, wrong jacket, just a complete shabby mess. And his first experience of the school day, getting off the bus at school, was his deputy principal standing there in a suit going, what is this? You look like you crawled out from under a rock. Not my finest moment in education, I might say. Imagine if you showed up at CCW and the welcoming committee said, you look like you crawled out from under a rock. Okay, not the, not the most gracious start to someone's day. Anyway, I took down his name and sorted out his uniform as best we can, sent him off to class. Later in that day, uh, one of his teachers came and said to me, hey, did you say something to so-and-so this morning? Because like, he's really got... He's really down about it. It's something about crawling out from under a rock and he's, you know, he's quite depressed and stuff going on at home. And I'm just thinking, oh, no. Just instant regret. Just a stupid, frustrated, hasty word that actually hurt someone more than I knew and was humiliating for me. And I, I had to then go and apologise and try to make amends for something that was just thoughtless. And I'm sure we've all done something like that. Different words, different contexts, whatever. But I'm sure we can all think of the times that we've said something and they just wish that we could wind back the clock and not have said that. And that's just one example that I'm kind of willing to talk about. <laughs> There's plenty of others there that would be uh, really deeply embarrassing. Because I, I don't want it on my conscience that I've harmed someone's mental health or whatever. So you can probably think of words that you've said that you wish you hadn't. And if you can't think of that, I'm sure you can think of words that you've heard that you wish you hadn't. And it reminds us that the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, it's, it's rubbish, isn't it? Because I reckon you've heard something in your life that cut to the bone and really did hurt, and has possibly stayed with you. So lives are changed, like a bit in a horse's mouth, like a rudder on a ship, or like a spark that sets a forest ablaze. I was recently talking to my father-in-law, Len, who's 88 years old, and he was a teacher for most of his life too. And I remember talking to him about how he got into it. And he was a poor kid, born in the Depression, um, really dirt poor. Uh, the family was troubled by alcoholism and by sickness. And he was so poor that he had to share a bed with his brother until he was 18 years old. Now, teenagers here think about that. If you were saving up for an Xbox or something, but you, <laughs> you'd soon forget about that and uh, rather get your own bed, wouldn't you, if you had to sleep with one of your siblings until you're 18. And he was a guy who'd been at work since he was 14. 
Uh, he'd completed an apprenticeship in cabinet making, but as an older teen, uh, just a young man really, he thought about retraining to become a teacher and he shared this idea with his mother. Well, she just scolded him for being so arrogant and ambitious and she told him that this idea was above his station in life. And it also came out that he was told that he was not wanted, that he was a mistake. And this experience uh, made him believe that he was a son who was nothing but a mother's regret. Now, this is an 88-year-old recounting conversations uh, that happened about 70 years ago. And it brought him to tears even now that someone thought so poorly of him. The reality is that he actually had a very successful career full of many achievements. So the facts of his life affirm him as a, as a person. But a mother's words from all those years ago still caused tears. Interestingly and inspiringly, he completely forgives her and knows that it was the circumstances of her life that gave her such a harsh perspective. But words can hurt and words can last a lifetime. And he is uh, one of those endearing people who decides to be better rather than be bitter. And, uh, to, and his life has been one of just profound encouragement of other people around him. But it's true that what James says, the tongue is full of deadly poison that can last for years and years. I wonder if we can forgive those who've said cruel words to us. And I wonder if we can ask forgiveness for the cruel words that we ourselves have spoken. The third little story I want to share about uh, is, is about a lady by the name of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Not someone I know personally, but that is a real name and a real person. She's a writer. Butterfield was a professor of literature. She was an intellectual, a feminist, a lesbian, a political activist, and a writer who was particularly scathing and critical of Christianity. Now, in the world of her university, her ideas were quite well received. But when she published an article in her local newspaper attacking the, quote, unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics and patriarchy, she got some mail. Some of it was hate mail and some of it was fan mail. This was back in the day when mail came on paper. She had two Xerox boxes in her study and she had a box for each type of mail. And as she received these letters from, in response to her article in the newspaper, she filed them accordingly. Fan mail, hate mail. Fan, fan, hate, hate, fan, and so on. But eventually, she got to a letter that just broke her system. It didn't fit a category. And this is what she wrote to explain it. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the kind of questions I admire. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know you are right? Do you believe in God? Ken didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. 
I didn't know how to respond to it, so I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the recycling bin and put it back on my desk where it stared at me for a week, confronting me with the worldview divide that demanded a response. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches, that Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as blue sky. So her previous experience of Christianity had been one of um, condemnation. She writes on, That is not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this would be good for my research. Something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floy, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. That's her description of this encounter over the years. And her story goes on to recount a reluctant conversion to Christianity through a growing sense that the love of Jesus would repair and renew her. In her literary way, she described it like this. I was a broken mess. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. You can read her testimony and the transformation of her life that followed in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. As we consider the power of words and the need, need to tame the tongue, here's an encouraging story. Well-chosen, respectful, gracious words, even challenging words, accompanied by hospitality and love, can be used by God to bring someone to the fullness of life found in the kingdom. Last week after church, the sun was shining and Val suggested that uh, we should get out and go for a walk. So we went up to Mount Worth up here and we saw the standing giant. Who's been up there to Mount Worth for a walk? Beautiful spot, just nearby. It's a massive 400-year-old mountain ash, one of the tallest trees in the world, or it used to be anyway. It used to be well over 100 metres tall. But the top 40 metres of the standing giant has been blown off by lightning strikes and by storms. Now the standing giant is remarkable not because of what it is, but because of what it isn't, what it once was or what it could have been. Our words can be like the raindrops and the nutrients that make something wonderful, something that can reach extraordinary heights. Or our words can be like the lightning strikes and the storms that destroy and reduce and cause something to be less than it was made to be. In this age of social media, it's easier than ever for our words to impact others. So the time of writing when James is so passionately telling Christians to speak right to each other, 
the only audience you might have been able to have would be a room full of people. Okay, but we, all of us, have potential for global reach with our, our words. Some of you have probably got heaps of followers on social media. Okay, your capacity for reach is so much more than when the Bible was written. So it's all the more important that our words are used wisely. And all too often I've dealt with cyberbullying cases in schools where one person's words have absolutely devastated someone else. Keyboard warriors in the safety of their own bedrooms or hidden behind fake usernames can say the most vile and brutal and destructive things. Probably things they wouldn't have the guts to say face to face. And of course, we know stories. The, the ruined relationships that come from this, the mental health problems, the self-harm and even the suicide that can come about from cruel words said in, in a cowardly way. But there's also opportunity for just great blessing and great encouragement. And uh, recently I've just had a few experiences of seeing my adult friends speak encouragement into my boys' lives and it's, it's really uplifting. It's, um, I, I just wish every kid had people around them who would build them up. And that's a, just a great thing about being in a church community like this. And we need to be really intentional about finding people that we're going to speak into to encourage so that they can be like a standing giant, like it's meant to be, that tree. So how are you communicating to those around you? Are you breathing life into them? Or are you cutting them down? I think for most of us, it's both. But James says it's just not right for the Christian to express such contradiction and inconsistency in our words. And that's the next bit of the passage. So let's take a look at that now. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. If we're going to follow Jesus it will mean taming the tongue. It will mean getting rid of the inconsistency and hypocrisy and contradiction in the way that we speak. It will mean that our mocking words will turn into appreciation. That our gossip will stop and it will be replaced with discretion. That smuttiness will turn to wholesome laughter. That teasing will turn to tolerance and that harsh criticism will become caring confrontation. It will turn nagging into empowerment. It will turn cruelty into kindness and lies into honesty. At the start of the passage, it said no, no one can tame the tongue. It's impossible for a human. It's in our nature for this organ to be full of vile poison, as James describes it. We can't do it on our own. We need God to do that in us so that we can be transformed in the way that we speak and communicate with others. And we've got to call on God to do that. 
It's not just about us trying harder for a bit or being inspired for a few days after we hear a message at church. It's got to come out of our heart and God transforms the heart. In Luke 6.45 it says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to be letting God fill our heart with right thinking and feeling and then this will spill over into our words and our relationships. So is there someone that you need to apologise to? Someone that you need to, to thank? Is there someone you need to encourage? Is there someone that you need to accept and include and welcome into the conversation or into your life? Is there someone you actually need to lovingly challenge? I'd like to just take 30 seconds now without words so that you can think about what needs to change in your life and in mine. Choose the person or the people that we need to get a right relationship with or the part of our speech and communication that we need to surrender to God and transform.